0: Welcome, Screensavers. I'm Michael Gallett.
1: I'm Matt Sturdivant.
0: I'm Tyler Sitkus. Together, we host the Silver Screensavers podcast, a show about the world of cinema and a celebration of our love of movies. Today, we will be discussing a director who has been entertaining audiences for decades and has two new movies out this year. That's right. We're talking about Ridley Scott. We'll be giving you our favorite Scott movie so far. It seems like he's got a lot more to come. As well as some brief thoughts on The Last Duel, and that all leads up to our review of House of Gucci. And just to note, if you feel like skipping ahead to the different sections, we do provide timestamps in the description of the episodes, so you can skip around to the different sections as you please. Come back, skip forward, do whatever you want to do. But first, we lost a titan. We wanted to briefly tribute Steven Sondheim, composer and lyricist, crafted some of the most memorable songs, music, musicals out there. He did the lyrics for West Side Story. Uh, He did Company, A Little Night Music, Sweeney Todd, The Demon Barber of Fleet Street, Saturday in the Park with George, Into the Woods, amongst many others. We could not admire him more, and he will be dearly missed. Mr. Sondheim, your magic spreads infinitely, so thank you. And now, to our weekly watch list, Matt, what have you been watching?
1: I've been watching a lot of stuff this week. I watched Tick, Tick, Boom, which is Lin-Manuel Miranda's directorial debut. He did an adaptation of the play Tick, Tick, Boom from Jonathan Larson. It features Andrew Garfield as Jonathan Larson, who was absolutely killing it. And if he doesn't get nominated for an Oscar, at least for that, then I will be very, very disappointed. I've also started watching the Hawkeye series on Disney+. Plus. So far, two episodes in, feeling pretty good about it. I mean, I'm a fan of all the Marvel TV series that Disney has done so far. So I have no doubt that this one will be just as good. Thanksgiving was this past Thursday, so I had to inaugurally watch my new favorite Thanksgiving movie after it was pointed out to me that this is a Thanksgiving movie, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man, featuring, of course, Tobey Maguire, Willem Dafoe, Kirsten Dunst.
0: Did you really need an excuse to watch Sam Raimi's Spider-Man?
1: No, well, no, I, I, I would have probably watched it anyway with No Way Home coming out in a couple weeks. I have all of the Spider Man movies except for The Amazing Spider Man 2 on either Blu ray or DVD, so I will absolutely be rewatching the entire Spider series, even though, quote, Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire, quote, are not, quote, in, quote, No Way and who,
0: Home. Who, quote, said, quote, that, quote?
1: "Quote Tobey Maguire and quote <laughs> Andrew Garfield." Um, oh, Kevin both Biden. of them said it. I think they both have it. At some point. I know Garfield for sure has has said, "Oh, I, I'm not in it." Oh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You know. Oh, I um, see. One more that I want to point out that I watched this week was the movie Creep. Um, it's kind of a lower budget horror movie. It's got um, it's got Mark Duplass, who was also in the show The League who plays this, well, this guy who invites this videographer to do, uh, like, a project for a day. And it's basically, it's filmed from the point of view of the videographer. And at first, you kind of, without getting, like, super into detail, at first this guy, you can tell there's something off about this guy that Mark Duplass is playing. Um, But then as the story unfolds, you just realize exactly what the whole deal is. And it's just, it's very, no, very few frills, very low budget. It's like a found, it's kind of like a found footage format. Um, but it, it, it is actually probably one of the scariest movies I've seen in a while. Um, but it's one of those movies where you gotta kind of watch it to really understand what I'm saying. So definitely go watch Creep. That Mm -hmm. and its sequel are both on Netflix right now.
0: Mark Duplass, uh, you said of the league definitely, and also of togetherness. Shout out to all the three togetherness fans that are out there. I wanted another another season, and they didn't give us one. So, R.I.P. Tyler. What about you? What have you been watching?
2: Uh, this week I haven't watched much. I just got. Uh, I also watched Tick Tick Boom, and I basically agree with everything you said, Matt. So um, I think he's going to get an Oscar nom for it. I think he was wonderful in it, and I'm the guy who doesn't like musicals much, and I was engaged throughout, so I really liked it.
0: All right, awesome. I've watched quite a few things this week as well. Uh, I watched Body Heat. This is an erotic thriller from 1981, written and directed. It's the directorial debut of Lawrence Kasdan, uh, wrote some Star Wars films, co-wrote Raiders of the Last Ark, and this is a tense, just slow burn thriller. Kathleen Turner and William Hurt. William Hurt throws a chair through a window. It's just the best fashion. I love that. I love the scene. Um, it's it's often about like the life you want, how it comes at the highest price, right? Oftentimes we're so close to paradise, but you have to do something really devilish in order to get to paradise. Uh, this has sizzling cinematography by Richard H. Klein. I'd recommend if you are a, a fan of thrillers, definitely check this out. Matt, I have a surprise for you. And that is that I did watch Free Guy, finally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is uh, directed by Sean Levy, written by Matt Lieberman and Zach Penn. Here's the thing. I think this is a really good idea about... Um, a non-playable character in a video game who kind of gains sentience. He's an AI, and now he tries to become the hero of the story. And also there's some, like, intellectual property subplot that's going on that's actually pretty interesting. Um, it's it's a great idea. I got to shout out Jonathan Azevedo, who plays Jonathan in this movie. I've met him. He's a lovely and talented guy, so shout out to him. The movie itself, my watching experience... It's kind of fun. There's a couple of funny lines. Most of the humor falls flat for me. Um, everybody's very good at what they're doing. Ryan Reynolds is always good at, at his, his brand of humor. Jody Comer is very good. Uh, I, I gotta say, it's not really for me, which is not at all a critique of the movie. There's no fault of the movie. It's just not super my thing. It was enjoyable enough. I do have one critique, it, which a lot of the movies this year suffer from, I think it's too long. This comes in at about two hours, which is not a super long movie comparatively, but for the kind of movie it is and for like how snappy it was, I kind of wanted to get out of there. I, I felt it dragged at a couple of parts. I don't know, Matt, did you feel that at all?
1: Nah, I was on that ride for the whole thing. Oh, I no. was loving it. All
0: right, fair enough. You know what, another knock against it it does use the term Apex Predator at some point, which, like, enough! <laughs> stop saying Apex Predator!
1: I agree with that. Alright, I'll, I'll give you that one. That, that's fair.
0: And these are people playing video games. Like, it's fine, but I, I, just, I just don't get it. No one in life has ever used the term Apex Predator.
2: Can I just bring a gripe in here for this movie, which I, I fully admit I only saw the first ten minutes before I just stopped watching it. <laughs> um... <laughs> But just from the trailers, I hate video game movies made by people who have never played a video game before, and the world looks nothing like a video game. Like, it looks like a video game from, like, 1988. I'm just sick of that.
0: <laughs> I Fair enough. I will say, I thought the video game-ness of it was kind of fun, so if you're into that kind of thing, um, I, I would say give it a shot. It's I think it's better than this next film, which is Red Notice. Uh, this is written and directed by Ross and Marshall Thurber. This is his third collaboration with The Rock after Central Intelligence, which I, I do think is a pretty funny movie, and Skyscraper, uh, which I never saw. Uh, this is also The Dodgeball Man. I'm a fan of dodgeball. Uh, ben Stiller in dodgeball as White Goodman is just legendary. This movie's fine. It's about The Rock, um, who is a is a profiler who like specializes in art crimes. And he has to team up with Ryan Reynolds, who's like an art thief and he profiles him and they run around the globe and they get like hit by a bull. And I, I just I have to say, when one of them gets hit by a bull, it like looked really bad. Uh, I, I don't know, it just really jarred me and took me out of the movie. Some of the action is fine. Um, if you like chase sequences, rapid fire quips that really aren't that funny, and some big set pieces and twists, then I would say give this movie a shot. It was a big hit on Netflix. And again, I don't, I'm not saying I don't want to say anything bad about the movie. I'm just saying it was not uh, to my taste. I will say.
1: Would you say it was cute, as multiple people have described it?
0: Shout out to all the people that, whenever you saw a movie, either as a child or as an adult, maybe with your mom or your aunt. Your dad, somebody, and every single time you came out of the movie, they go, That was cute. Then you're, you're in good company. Because that happened to me.
2: I'm just going to do a little aside here again. I, I'm, I, I just have a problem with Netflix claiming every movie has been seen like six billion times. Like, I think they claimed Red Notice was seen in its first two weeks and like the entire first month of Avengers Endgame, which well, I, I don't believe. They don't release these stats, they just share it. So, uh, what are you doing, Netflix? Come on.
0: <laughs> Listen, it's possible that they pay one guy to just watch it and fast-forward through enough. it, click to the end, over and over and over and over until his eyeballs burn out.
1: You know what, that's what we got to get people to do for this podcast. got to goose the numbers a little bit. No, it's
0: we want authentic viewership. We want <laughs> communication right into us. Speaking
1: uh, of, uh, sorry, real quick. Oh, go ahead. Speaking of movies that have beaten end, records End Endgame set... Um, I read today that the tw- like the first 24-hour ticket sales for Spider-Man No Way Home have already surpassed that of Endgame. Really? Wow. So, yeah. That's I'm impressive. I, um, some people know this already that have interacted with me on social media and stuff. I had the f- every intention of staying up till midnight to get those tickets, get in early, and from the sound of it, I'm glad I fell asleep and... Missed it, because it sounds like it was quite a nightmare, trying to get tickets at midnight. All the apps were crashing, and just sounded awful. But I got us pretty good seats at 6 a.m., so...
0: At 6 a.m.?
1: 6 a.m., roughly, yeah. Like, I woke up and... Oh, I thought you meant that
0: our our showtime was 6 (laughs) (laughs) a.m.
2: Yeah, it might be a little early. I
1: don't know if I can make it. No, I I woke up at 6 a.m., and I'm like, ah, shoot, I, uh... I I fell asleep, and I'm like, so I hopped on Cinemark. I'm like, all the, all the showings at our favorite theater were sold out. So I'm like, oh no. So then I end up finding the next closest one and found some pretty good seats. So that's that's my story on that. It'll all be
0: it'll all be worth it when Lizard gets punched by nobody.
1: (laughs) I hope that's in there. No one punches him; he just falls. It's gonna be Casper the Friendly Ghost.
0: It's gonna be like when Patrick beats himself up out of thin air. (laughs) <laughs> when SpongeBob was trying to get into the salty spittoon.
1: What if what if it's Egon Spangler?
0: It could be. I don't know. It's everything's a mystery right now. We don't even know if <laughs> if roles are are what they are. It's it's too confusing. One thing I do know about is that I watched Bruised. This is Halle Berry's directorial debut. Uh, love to Halle Berry. We haven't loved her enough. in in the past couple of decades, I would say. She's way more talented and skilled uh, than she is given credit for. This is written by Michelle Rosenfarb. I'm overall very positive on this movie. You can get this on Netflix. Um, It is about an MMA fighter who is very successful, and she falls on hard times. She comes out of the ring, and she has to rebuild her life uh, while she is kind of training up to get back in the ring, which sounds very formulaic, And it's a little bit of formulaic, but there's enough originality that really kept me going that actually made me care about the outcome of this movie. It takes a few minutes to kind of get its stride. Um, I do like that it doesn't really waste a lot of time kind of setting itself up, um, but like a lot of the dialogue in the beginning is a little bit ridiculous. Unlike a lot of the movies this year, though, I think it is one that improves very much so. As it goes along, it moves at a great speed. And, you know, there are great performances by Haley Berry, by Sheila Ateem. Uh, Danny Boyd is a child actor. He was absolutely wonderful. Adrian Lennox. I would definitely recommend Bruised. And I saved what I think is the best for last. And, like my co host, I also watched Tick Tick Boom. Uh, it was directed by Lin Manuel Miranda in his directorial debut, as mentioned. This was written by Stephen Levinson. This is just absolutely one of my favorite musicals, not just my favorite musicals, one of my favorite movies of the year. The music is insane. It's catchy. It's lyrically brilliant, uh, written by Jonathan Larson. The direction and the cinematography by Alice Brooks, it's like so kinetic, and it employs so many different styles that it, it just never drags. Uh, this is a movie about, it's about creativity. It's about um, Jonathan Larson, who is trying to... Uh, make it in show business in new york um so it's about kind of the pull between creativity and comfort but i also found it to be this incredible exploration of the concept that really time and the time that we have is our greatest currency and it's so difficult to know how to use it well which i think i know i can definitely relate to fellas i don't know if you guys can relate to that But I'm always questioning myself of should I be doing this right now? What would be a better use of my time? What's going to lead me to something better? How much do I take time out to enjoy myself? It's a constant struggle, I know, with me. And this movie depicts it so well. Andrew Garfield, if he got an Oscar nomination for Hacksaw Ridge, then he needs to get five Oscar nominations for this. (laughs) Not that I dislike Hacksaw Ridge, but I thought he he, he was just giving it his all in every way
1: just just give him every best actor nomination. Yeah, <laughs> every every single one.
0: <laughs> and he'll still lose to Joaquin Phoenix for Joker.
1: <laughs> I I totally agree with you Mike though. That that sort of existential crisis that he's having in that movie it it kind of kind of hit me in the feels, you know? And I think that really made me connect with this movie in such a way.
0: Yeah, and it does it presents him as a complex character but like doesn't deify him, right? It doesn't treat him like a god. It shows such respect for his passion and creativity, but it doesn't showcase him as perfect, which is something a lot of movies do that kind of annoys me a lot of the time. It's not a great man movie. It's uh, showing you a man and his struggles and his creativity. This also has Robin de Jesus, who I just thought was a wonderful presence, and I wanted I want to see him in everything. He was awesome. Uh, Vanessa Hudgens has one particular number in this that like, I don't, she was on another level. She was incredible. I don't think like she doesn't really get to be a character that much in this movie. She kind of just shows up to perform the songs a little bit. I kind of wish she had gotten maybe a little more character. Um, but that that's you know, she was still excellent. Alexandra Shipp and Bradley Whitford, uh, who plays Steven Sondheim. I thought he was excellent. So tick tick boom, one of my favorite movies of the year. It was awesome. Our ambulance countdown. We are 80 days away. In movie news, we got one trailer that I just want to talk about so badly. I know guy, you guys don't. Uh, but this is Marry Me.
1: <laughs> if there was this... a way to audibly shake our heads so, so that our listeners could just truly experience the shaking of the heads right now
0: this is marry me this is about a pop superstar who is jilted by her rock star fiance moments before their wedding at madison square garden so she marries a random guy from the crowd instead the pop superstar is JLo. lo the random guy who i believe is a teacher is owen wilson this comes out february 11th 2022 Directed by Kat Quarrow, um, who is both a film and very prolific TV director. Modern Family, Shameless, It's Always Sunny. Uh, she directed the pilot of She-Hulk, which we'll be seeing at some point. Written by John Rogers, Tammy Sager, Harper Dill. This is based on a graphic novel by Bobby Crosby. And you know what, guys? I'm in. I, I want it. It's, you know, are they going to stay together? Are they not? A lot of the times I don't care about this stuff, but this time I do. It's the return of the rom-com. We've been deprived of rom-com. We've had to go to Netflix and watch rom-coms. We haven't been able to go to the theater for a rom-com in so long, and I hate it, okay? And so we're getting it back. I'm planting the flag. We're reclaiming it.
2: I thought you were going to say that you th- that when you said and a stranger who I believe, I thought you were going to say who I believe is Owen Wilson. That's going to be my like, life. <laughs> yes.
1: I, I got a question for you, Mike. Be honest with me. We can cut this if you don't want to add this part. Okay. But I want your thoughts on this. All right. Do you think you're excited for this movie because the protagonist, played by Owen Wilson, is also a teacher?
0: And you thinking? Indeed. Are you trying to psychoanalyze me, saying that <laughs> I I want to live vicariously through Owen Wilson?
2: As I have seen teacher. you taking a lot of "Marry Me" signs to concerts of, <laughs> of, of <laughs> pop stars. So.
0: I mean, you would have to interview my ID to really know, um, but I I don't I lost the phone that goes to my ID, so we can we can talk about that another time. I don't know. Up I'm next just
2: on the pod. Our guest Sigmund Freud yeah
0: (laughs) zombie Sigmund Freud I don't know it just it's you know are they going to stay together Uh, seems like there might be some temptation to go back with this rock star fiance Owen Wilson's got a nice daughter Sarah Silverman is like his friend or something she's spraying people with a hose or whatever she's doing it can't be that bad it's a Valentine's Day release it just seems really fun and sweet I don't know are you guys not charmed by this
1: I mean, the way you describe it it makes it sound much better than how the trailer made it look.
0: What was wrong with the trailer?
1: It just, it just, I I don't know. It just didn't, it looked so corny and it's just not my thing.
0: All right, fair enough. That's fair. Tyler, were you not charmed?
2: I'm charmed. I I, I don't know. (laughs) It looked fine. I I would see it, but I mean, I'm not going out of my way to go. Like, I'm not hyped for it.
1: I, I, I will say it does look like a nice date movie to bring someone to. But it's not a movie that I would go as a single man by myself to watch. Yeah, 100%. I agree with that.
0: I totally would go see this by... I'm, like, interested enough where I don't care if I don't have anybody to go with. Shout out to people who go see movies by themselves. You keep it alive. Uh, even if this movie is bad, I hope that J-Lo gets a makeup up Oscar nom because she got robbed of one for Hustlers. Side recommend... Hustlers, Lorene Scafaria, just incredible movie. It's awesome. Go watch that. How do some of
2: the Oscar voters feel about that?
0: Feel about Marry Me? I bet they love it.
2: No, no, about Uh, J-Lo.
0: We're not going to get into that. That would require me saying a naughty word. (laughs) I can bleep it. Mm, Can you? All right, so... Every year, there are like the uh, Honest Oscar ballots. And that was for 2019, the 2020 Oscars for 2019. And that it was the Supporting Actress category. And whoever this person was, it's always anonymous. <laughs> they, were, they were like, I don't want Lo to get the nod. F- J.Lo, like, what, what is your problem? Yeah. Like who J-Lo. hates j lo, even yeah. if she's not your favorite, who hates <laughs> j lo <feels>
1: that strongly, <laughs> yeah, I feel like the worst you should feel against J-Lo is like lukewarm, yeah, that's probably like the, the that's like as low as her scale should go.
0: you know what happened is that either one they're a teacher who didn't get to marry j Lo or two they were on they went on a bad date to like Maiden in Manhattan or something like that, <laughs> and they never forgave j lo
1: was there ever a good date to maid in Manhattan? <laughs> Maybe if, maybe this person was in Geely with JLo. Lo.
0: <laughs> Side note: If you were you were courting your spouse and you guys saw Made in Manhattan together and then got married, please let us know.
2: Yeah, please please prove us wrong.
0: Write into us at the Silver Screensavers Pod at Gmail dot com. We would love to hear from you. Uh, but now we are going to move. To our top Ridley Scott movies first when you guys hear the name Ridley Scott when you think of his movies his entertainment what do you think of Tyler what do you think of
2: you know I was thinking about this earlier and you know he's not like a director like a Wes Anderson type where like you can lump his movies all together I feel like he has such a varied filmography Mm -hmm. uh, very true you know real events fictional events so I I don't know if there's one thing I place with him that I think is like... I I wouldn't know how to describe it, honestly. Like, if someone just came up to me and was like, tell describe me Ridley Scott. I, I love a lot of his movies. I just, I don't know. I I feel like he has, he has such... uh Like, v- there's such varying movies that it's hard to tack down a style, in my opinion. I mean, I'm not... Obviously, I'm sure people could answer that way better
1: than me.
0: Yeah, I love that about him. I, I'm always impressed when a director can do that. Matt, what do you think of?
1: Well, so what I was going to say is I agree. It's hard to pin him down because he attacks different genres, different, all different types of stories, but even my list, like my list is like three vastly different movies with vastly different types of plots. Mm. Um, but a couple things that I was able to really narrow down is he's very... They're very character-driven. Like, he puts a lot of time into fleshing out, you know, working with the characters. I mean, I guess that's more on the writers than on the director, but the way he has them act really kind of elevates past the plot in a lot of cases. Definitely. Um, And then also, his set pieces, Um, they're very atmospheric in all his movies. And what I mean by atmospheric is they're very bustling. Like, you can really lose yourself in them. Like, there's always, like tons of extras in the background like everything's moving everything's dynamic um whether it be in like a futuristic sci-fi world like in Blade Runner or like the streets of New York in American Gangster even like Thelma and Louise which was another one of my choices that I'm gonna talk about later um it's a road trip movie so it's very spread out but even so you get a lot of these set pieces that are very they just feel very real Mm. very atmospheric
0: yeah I agree you know one of the things that I love about Ridley Scott is that he always gives you a choice in his movies and by that I mean he's so entertaining and there's also so many ideas in each of his films that if you just want to go in and you want to see Russell Crowe just beat people up and be an awesome gladiator and just be entertained for two hours you can do that if you want to go in and you want to think about the implications of humanity there's a layer for that too. He always has these double entertainment and intellectualism in there and you don't have to engage with both. Or you can rewatch and you can engage with the other, you can engage with both and I always love that. That's why rewatching his movies is so uh, rewarding.
1: Just just don't rewatch it on your phone or so helpful. Yeah.
0: Yeah, he he doesn't like phones. It's, uh, you know, fair. (laughs) And like you said, Matt, just like this man is a world builder. The production design, all the effects in his movies. Like the first time I watched Alien, I was like, like, my Lord, I'm there on that ship. And I feel that way with all his movies. He just these immersive places that you you just want to go there immediately. And he gives you the closest possible thing. Without further ado, Tyler, why don't you give us your number three?
2: I'm going to give my three, and I'm just going to preface this by saying like, I, I do like this movie, but I do recognize there are a lot of problems with it. Like, um, It definitely leaves out a lot of context for it ends up being kind of pro-U.S. in it. So there are problems. I recognize that the politics aren't great. But it's Black Hawk Down um, from 2001, I believe it is. Is that right? I forgot to put the year.
0: I believe so, yes. <laughs>
2: Okay, well, I just I just think it's such a... It's like a brutal, visceral war movie. Um, it doesn't really... Make, it's not like a war movie to entertain you. Like, oh, this is such a great story. Like, you're seeing... He's, he doesn't shy away from showing, like, the horrors of war. There's one scene which, I mean, I remember the first time I watched it. I mean, I thought about it for days. And it's um, uh, one of the Somali... I don't know what group they belong to, but they fire an RPG into a one of the U.S. military vehicles, and it ends up sticking in one of the soldiers' stomach and doesn't explode. Oh. So they pull him out, and he's just got this explosive sticking out of him. And it's just gross and disgusting, but, like, it's real. And I think he did a good job of just showing, like, a brutal conflict. It wasn't like, wow, these guys are so manly and cool, and they're killing people. That's awesome. Like, go U.S. I think he didn't portray that enough, but... I think he did a good job of just making this a brutal film that you kind of get like, the wow, this is bad, like this is horrible that people have to go
1: through this kind of feel.
0: Mm. Yes, definitely. Matt, what is your number three?
1: All right, my number three, um, I'm going to be honest, I'm only reviewing half of this movie, but it's Kingdom of Heaven Director's Cut. I decided to watch the director's cut I know I had asked you guys about it whether I should go with the theatrical or the director's cut and then I looked it up and I guess the director's cut is supposed to be the definitive version of this movie Mm. Um, it was directed by Ridley Scott written by William Monaghan so it is about a blacksmith during the crusades who basically inherits um, this title from his father who was played by Liam Neeson's um, and he basically and takes on the charge, he's supposed to take on the charge of defending the city against, um, I believe it's other crusaders. Um, uh, I gotta be honest, I only watched half the movie. What I did see of it was really good, like the fight choreography was really good, and the set pieces were immersive as ever. But it's a, the director's cut is a three and a half hour long movie almost, and I like I said I kind of ran out of time for this one so I only watched half of it, but I oh it's got Orlando Bloom it's got Ava Green it's got a lot of good good talent in it and it's a lot got a lot of good parts to it I do think had this movie come out at a different time and I'm gonna say this about another my next pick as well had it come out another year like a different at a different time I feel like it probably would have done better at the Oscars. Because this came out in 2005, so that's the same year as Crash, same year as Brokeback Mountain, Walk the Line, Capote. And, I mean, for the most part, objectively, those are probably better movies than this one. But had this movie come out a different year, I think it would have fared a little better.
0: Fair enough. I, Really, Scott has a long history of director's cuts, some, I would say, to, to more success, some others not famously... Uh, Blade Runner, which oh maybe we'll talk about, maybe we won't. Has a lot of different cuts to it. Um, I don't know. 2005, I don't think was the best movie year ever. Uh, we could perhaps debate that another time, but I don't. Okay. It wasn't. Now that I'm thinking Broke about it,
1: I, I take back what I said about Crash. Everything else objectively uh, a better no. movie. Yeah, Brokeback Mountain,
0: incredible. Uh, Orlando Bloom, a really interesting figure. He's in some of the biggest blockbusters of the 21st century, and then I believe he's he's doing Carnival Row currently. Um, I haven't watched many of his television products. What do you television programs I should say? Where do you guys stand on Orlando Bloom?
2: I just want to point out he was also in Black Hawk Down, so <laughs> <It's> two Orlando <laughs> Bloom movies talked about back to back.
1: Wow. Yeah, but only one Ed Norton movie. Only one Ed Norton behind a mask movie, actually. That's you true. know
2: I love the original Pirates of the Caribbean, so, uh, so do I like I. Orlando Bloom. Um, mm-hmm. But like I, tr- I haven't been like, oh, where's Orlando Bloom? I kind of forget about him to be honest. I would love
0: to see yeah. him. I want to see more pirates. Not enough pirate movies. I've heard that. I've heard. I don't think it's confirmed that Margot Robbie is going to be doing some pirate movies, which I, I am psyched for. I Love Margot Robbie. My number three is Gladiator. This is written by David Franzoni, who did the story, John Logan and William Nicholson. This is based on the book Those About to Die by Daniel P. Mannix. This is about a Roman general named Maximus, who's played uh, legendarily by Russell Crowe. His family is killed, and he is forced into slavery to become a gladiator. Uh, Russell Crowe, I'll use the term once, he is an apex predator. In this movie, all right, I'll be a hypocrite for Russell Crowe. I really don't mind. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix just really beautifully plays Commodus, who is the son of the emperor who is passed over, um, not just for to be the emperor's heir, but like of his father's love. And this movie has really interesting things to say about like um, the dark souls of rejected and things like that. It is so much fun. There's so much action. This is kind of like. Ridley Scott, I would say, it his most entertaining uh, swords and sandals kind of thing. And not only that, when I went in, I thought it was going to be a lot of that, and it is. But if there's like a little bit of Terrence Malick in this movie too. There's definitely time to like appreciate uh, the beauty and these these sort of ineffable forces of life. We have Maximus who is sort of longing to be with his family again in heaven. The, the fight scenes are incredible the costumes are amazing it has comments about like uh, I'm gonna say this in a very like unsophisticated way but like how sort of likability and entertainment are powerful forces in the world I would say both for for good and for evil uh, which is interesting it's kind of meta for a movie this is nominated for 12 Oscars. Uh, and won five of it. Like, that just doesn't really happen that much anymore. And this was just 20 years ago. It won for Best Picture, Best Actor for Russell Crowe, Costume Design, Sound, and Visual Effects. And the craziest thing of all is that this is apparently getting a sequel. I don't. Are you guys interested in the Gladiator sequel?
1: Mm, I'm, I'm, I'm going to sort of reserve my judgment till I see more, like a trailer or any other casting
2: if there was a movie that didn't need a sequel it's gladiator. So <laughs> i don't think it's necessary
0: yeah i won't say what happens in the end but it's a movie that doesn't exactly leave room for a sequel um unlike a lot of movies nowadays i don't i, I won't say more because i don't want to ruin gladiator you should experience it for yourself if you haven't seen it but that is my number three gladiator tyler what is your number two
2: my number two uh, is 1982's Blade Runner um, which we were talking about it earlier I was trying to look it up real quick and I believe it's seven different releases that it got uh, oh wow, wow. Uh, yeah seven different versions and Ridley Scott has rumored of an eighth um, himself <laughs> so <laughs> I, I don't know the difference between them all the only one I've actually seen is the final cut which I think was released in 07 and this is I think Ridley Scott said this is the definitive version this is the one he had total creative control on um, even more so than the director's cut so that's the version I watched which is available on Netflix now that's the one um, but I just want to I just think it's we talked about his world you talked about his world building earlier Mike and yeah. I just think this is such a prime example of it um, it takes place in 2019 Los Angeles which a little off on the <laughs> depiction um, but so it, much smog this, though yeah <laughs> But you get this dystopian world, and and I, and I I just want to mention that I think this kind of world building in not world building, but this kind of aesthetic in modern block modern sci-fi is just not there anymore. And I'm talking about mostly like blockbusters like um, Star War, the recent Star Wars movies and Dune, which is just like the drab. Gray, everything's gray. They're wearing black clothes, dark clothes, mm-hmm. dirt, and all that. Like, but um. I just, it's cool. You get the city with the neon lights, and yet at the same time, he gives you these interior shots that are cramped, they're dark, and you just see the lights kind of bleeding through. Constant, like, um, searchlights and stuff going through really add to this cool tension in every scene. And I just think that modern day sci fi doesn't take advantage of that. You can create this dark world that's still vibrant and colorful. And it it creates this cool, I think it's one of the first, like, cyberpunk movies, if I'm not mistaken. And it's it's really, like, a kind of accurate view of the future of just this corporate advertisements everywhere. There's big, huge blimps with lights and stuff and big billboards and stuff. And I think that was a really cool idea because, you know, a lot of science fiction of that time didn't really think about that. But, you know, that's what we got. We got big Coke billboards and everything, so... I think you know it was off by the flying cars and stuff but they got that right. And then oh and one thing I mentioned and this this applies to my next movie on this list too but like I love how in like movies back then 80s 70s they showed like flying cars, you know, space travel was like normal, everyone did it and then like yet yeah, computers are these old school barely <laughs> different from what they had like they didn't see any advancement in that. They got the flickering images, bad yeah, yeah. quality. Like that—that that was the one thing we did improve the most on, and they just did not foresee that. It brings up like a lot of great, a lot of deep moral questions, like um, especially I think one of the most um, interesting is like what constitutes life. You know, these are synthetic beings, but they have experiences. They go through human. They're developing human emotions, and I think he. It, it, well, I don't want to spoil the movie, but it, Rick Deckard, played by Harrison Ford, the main character, really starts to see through a different way. Um, Throughout the movie, so I think that was a really cool thing and you also have like the dangers of technology what they pose You know, you're basically creating fake humans without the ability to really tell them apart
0: All that and unicorns
2: and unicorns
0: (laughs) another great movie on that is ex machina, but I I second this pick this would be on my list Um, It it's just absolutely amazing there are, like a few different components to this movie that I have different feelings about. Whenever I watch this movie, I always find myself more attracted to Rutger Hauer and Daryl Hannah and like what they're doing as opposed mm-hmm. to uh, Harrison Ford and Sean Young. I'm just gonna be honest; I don't really care about their romance. I like I'm just not <laughs> yeah, into it.
2: I, I agree with that. The romance wasn't the strongest aspect of that.
0: I, I also understand like whether Deckard is. A replicant or not is an interesting question. I don't mind yeah. that much. Um, but the, the Roy Batty stuff is is just insane. His, his big speech, I won't spoil it, but just contains, I think, one of the greatest metaphors that has ever been written. I think about it all the time, and it just takes on new meaning every single time. Uh, I always connect this movie thematically with Coco the Pixar movie from 2017, this might sound nuts, but if, you think, if you've seen this movie and you think about Roy Batty and if you've seen Coco and you think about Hector, their life force is spent on this idea that they don't want their existence, their essence to disappear. They're both so terrified of that. They just want the universe to know that they were a life force and that they were here. And I've always felt that there was such a strong connection between Blade Runner and Coco, which might sound insane, but they've always connected in my mind. Yeah, love Blade Runner.
2: I got a fun fact about Rucker Hauer oh. and me. So I saw The Hitchhiker <laughs> yeah. with Rucker Hauer as a kid, and it was terrified of that movie. So I hated Rucker Howard for much of my life, <laughs> but I think *Blade Runner* was the point where I was like, "Okay, I like." Rucker. <laughs> so Rucker, if you're is he is he alive? No, no, <laughs> he died. Uh, yeah. Did he die? Like a year or two ago. Oh no! Okay, cut that out. <laughs> cut that end. Cut that ending part of it out.
1: <laughs> Rucker, if you're listening up there, it's yeah, if a great... you're up there, Rucker, I've forgiven you. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, thank Very well explained, Tyler. Thank you very much. What Matt, what about your number two?
1: Well, bummer alert. Rucker Howard died on my birthday two years ago.
0: Oh, oh. R.I.P.
2: R.I.P. Rucker.
1: Um, so anyway, my number two is American Gangster. Directed by Ridley Scott. Written by Steven Zalian, who also wrote Schindler's List, Gangs of New York, Moneyball, The Irishman.
0: Searching for Bobby Fischer.
1: He had a pretty good laundry list of... Um, of credits to his name for writing. Uh, So this movie, it took down two Oscar noms for Best Art Direction and Best Supporting Actress. Another movie, I think, as far as Oscars are concerned, I think if it had come out a different year, it probably would have done better. Because it was a good movie. It was well-acted, very immersive. But it also came out the same year as No Country for Old Men, Juno, There Will Be Blood, Atonement. Like, the Oscars were pretty stacked that year. Mm. As far as the movie itself, um, it's based on the life of gangster Frank Lucas, played by Denzel Washington, who, basically, he went to the source of where, he's a heroin dealer, so, he, instead of buying from other people and getting it cut, getting cut heroin, he went straight to the source in Vietnam. This was toward the end of the Vietnam War and actually bought the heroin straight from the Growers out in Vietnam, and then he would smuggle them back on American military planes returning home from the war. And on the flip side of that is Russell Crowe, who plays uh, a detective named Richie Roberts, who is basically on a mission to take down Frank Lucas and his uh, whole operation. Um, so Denzel, as a bad guy, is charming as ever as a sympathetic. Quote, I say, quote, sympathetic bad guy because he's a heroin dealer. He's he's not a good dude. But the way Denzel plays him just makes it. He's just got, still got that charm. It's almost like a training day vibe. Like training day Denzel. Where he's not playing a good character, but the way he plays him makes you kind of like, oh, wow, you know.
0: Super captivating.
1: He is captivating. That is the right word for it. Um. And then Russell Crowe, his character, he plays a great... He's a straight and narrow detective. Um, minor spoiler, there's a scene where he has the opportunity to... They basically, him and his partner, come across like this whole bunch of money. And they have the option to either turn it in or just keep it for themselves as cops. And then no one's going to say nothing. So he insists on returning the money, which kind of gets him a bad rap with the department because there's a lot of corrupt police in this time. Um... But he plays a straight narrow cop to the point where it almost breaks his character, like breaks um, it breaks down his whole family life and and basically causes a division with him and his wife and child. But the way Russell Crowe plays it is just so so he just he does it very well. Um, So overall, I mean, it's a great crime thriller. It's well acted. Um, it's also got one of my favorite things is seeing actors that are really well known today in smaller parts in older movies. So like I said, this movie came out in 2007. This movie had both Idris Elba and Norman Reedus in basically like small bit parts. Um, that
2: Idris Elba scene shocked me so much. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> me too. I'm lit- I, I I was sitting there, I, was, I think I was watching it with my father, I looked over, I'm like, oh my god, that's Idris! And then, <laughs> And, and then Norman Reedus is in it, too. He's, like, uh, I forgot, he was a detective from, like, another department or something for, like, one scene. But I'm like, huh. It's just so weird to me. To just you go back in time, even just, you know, this is, what, 14 years ago? Not even that old of a movie. And you see these actors, like, kind of getting their start a little bit. I mean, I don't know how... Prolific Idris was by that point. He might have been. He might have been.
2: He was in the wire at that point.
1: So he was in the wire. Now, <laughs> oh. yeah. well, even so, even
2: so.
0: Fun facts. When you Google movies 2007, before American Gangster, in fact, three or four, I should say, before American Gangster is Big Stan, which is Rob Schneider as Stan, <laughs> who is a convicted con man headed for jail because. Convicted con go someplace else sometimes other than jail. <laughs> he is frightened and visits a martial arts expert played by David Carradine to improve his feeble fighting skills. Will Stan master the moves and fend off his, his inmates? He owns the inmates.
2: What? What? <laughs> this, this was made in 2007?
0: So yeah, li- listen... You you know you mentioned "No Country for Old Men." You mentioned "There Will Be Blood." You didn't mention Big Stan, okay?
1: Big Stan.
0: What's wrong with you?
1: I was just talking about Oscar contenders. Yeah, Big Big Stan. 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 Wait, was it really? No. (laughs) Did you not listen to the plot of this (laughs) movie?
0: Yeah, Best Supporting Actor, David Carradine as the Master. Yeah, (laughs) that was at the Oscars. (laughs)
2: Whatever. Whatever, man. Who's he defending the other inmates from?
0: No, I think he's defending himself against the other inmates. Oh,
2: I know. I thought he was like defending a group of inmates.
0: Well, it does say fend off his inmates. <laughs> he's oh, like fend off. apparently okay, I, I he is both he's both the warden and an inmate in in this prison. Big wow. stan. Uh, also, uh, the poster is him having tattooed knuckles of Big Stan. And this Big is only across three of his fingers, so it doesn't even fit the eight-letter requirement. So please, kindly, the next time you talk about film in 2007, don't forget Big Stan.
1: I will know my place next time. Can anyone
2: time. who's seen Big Stan just give us a rundown of what they think of Big Stan, please? Please. I think I
0: saw the first 10 minutes, and I, I don't know. For any, listen, I like Rob Schneider. I do. I, I like him. I like all his movies. That makes
2: one of us. <laughs> yeah.
0: I like him. He had this Netflix show called Rob, I think. It was enjoyable. Um, But, you know, if anyone's out there and wants to let us know what's better, Big Stan or The Animal, because I haven't seen either in full, and I would really like to know.
1: What about Hot Chick?
0: Not a fan of the Hot Chick. (laughs) I have seen that one. Not a fan. (laughs) I'm curious as to what he does next. Maybe I can look that up after. But my number two. A very good movie. And kind of... uh, a bit of a departure from what release really Scott usually does, but that goes to what Tyler was saying before about the versatility. This is Matchstick Men. This is from 2003. It was written by Ted Griffin and Nicholas Griffin. It is based on the book Matchstick Men by Eric Garcia. This stars Nicholas Cage as Roy, who is a con artist with obsessive compulsive disorder. Uh, he's He doesn't like to do long cons. He has a partner, Sam Rockwell, who I always love, who plays Frank, uh, who... Sam Rockwell always has this like snappy, manic, but like completely in control energy, which he definitely uses to good effect in this movie. He's always keeping Roy on his toes, pushing Roy out of his comfort zone, which works really well. It keeps a lot of tension uh, between them, but they are trying to work a con. And Nicolas Cage discovers that he has a daughter, Angela, played brilliantly by Alison Lohman. This movie really melds, like, two parts of Cage. Like, his slick, slimy, criminal characters that he often plays with, like, this earnest, but trying but not succeeding completely dad like the family man the weatherman things like that it really melds these two things brilliantly so you get these scenes that are very fun snappy the con stuff and then you get these very tender-hearted sweet moments uh with him and his daughter i really like this movie it's really funny it has like one of the best moments of cage giving somebody attitude that i've ever seen on film Uh, there are like 10 different things that you have to keep up with and there's a whole storyline underneath everything that you don't even know is going on until the end and then once it ends you're like oh well i have to go watch that again because now i understand something crucial so it is very much a rewatchable movie you understand a lot more um and i would say uh as a person with OCD, I don't talk about it much, but when it shows up in a movie and it shows up well, I do like it. You know, this the depiction is—I uh, I don't want to say over the top. It's always usually a little bit exaggerated for the movies, which I understand. But I think this is a pretty good depiction. And Cage has one particular therapist scene in which he describes his struggles that I think is very authentic. So not a usual movie for Ridley Scott, but I don't know if Ridley Scott usually has a usual movie because he's he has some some old tricks to go back to but he's always changing it up so that is matchstick men go watch that tyler your favorite ridley scott movie
2: i don't think anyone's gonna be surprised if they've listened to us before in episode one i I, this was my number one of that list so it's 1979's alien which was actually only the second movie you directed but um, i mean you mentioned the world building specifically for alien earlier like it feels like you're there and it absolutely does just these it's all it's all set on the single like um spaceship and you would think that'd be kind of dull but oh my god he carries every scene it's just dripping with with atmosphere tension um you know i think everyone knows the story of alien but if you don't know they landed on a world to pick up something and they ended up picking up an alien life form that I'd uh, start some wacky hijinks on the ship, <laughs> wacky but, uh... hijinks that's, that's a great description of what <laughs> uh, No, I mean, everyone knows aliens, but if, if you do just, um, I, I recommend watching it. I think the less you know about the movie, if you know nothing about it, going absolutely blind, I think that'd be the greatest experience. I wish I could have done that. I mean, it's now such a pop culture staple that everyone knows something about it, but I mean, the less you know about it, the better. Experience it for yourself. I can't recommend this movie enough. I I don't even know what to say about it without spoiling too much. But I think it just has phenomenal performances from everyone in the cast. Just this incredible, like, dread dripping in every scene of, like, where could it be? Um, The kitchen scene, which uh, is one of my favorite scenes ever. And every time I watch it, I just, it drives me, like... Whoa, every time, even though I've seen it a hundred times now. So I just recommend, if you love horror, if you love sci-fi, absolutely watch Alien.
1: I I totally agree. Um, But when you said wacky hijinks, I can't stop picturing Rowan Atkinson (laughs) as Mr. Bean, just walking around. (laughs) (laughs) The
0: alien is Mr. Bean. Rowan Atkinson (laughs) is the xenomorph.
1: (laughs) Gets up to some wacky hijinks.
0: Except he doesn't I talk, so little he little... couldn't go
1: <laughs>
0: or whatever they do. <laughs> you know, what I love about this movie. I love a lot of things, but two things in particular is one, they do not try to shoehorn in like romantic stuff between any of the crew, which I appreciate. The alien ends. Yeah, the, the interspecies. No, the, the between <laughs> the members of the crew, and yes, the interspecies love. Uh, but also is that the tension. Like, once it starts, it goes until the very end of the movie. There's not a break. There's no, like, come down. It is just completely and utterly a thriller from the time it starts to the time it ends. Alien is legendary.
2: I just wanted to shout out the work of H.R. Geiger, who did most of, like, the designs for the film. Just incredible. Like, he created some insane um, landscapes, and just the design of the xenomorph is absolutely insane.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. It's it's an iconic image now. Uh, it's it's even like gone bigger than the Alien franchise. We have Alien versus Predator and all that fun stuff. <laughs> but Matt, how about your number one Ridley Scott?
1: Alright, so my number one, it's a movie that I just saw for the first time over the past week. I wasn't planning on talking about it, but then when I watched it, I was just totally mesmerized by it. So that's going to be Thelma and Louise, which... I never realized with a Ridley Scott movie until this week. Um, as, a, as a bit of an aside, so growing up, my family had the shelf, the bookshelf, full of all the VHS tapes. I'm sure you guys had that, too. Mm-hmm. Um, this one was on our VHS tape shelf. I remember always looking at it, and I'm like, like my six-year-old mind not knowing any better, like, oh, Thelma and Louise, that sounds like a girly movie, I don't want to watch that. Not that I would have been able to watch it anyway, because it's you know an R-rated crime thriller. But... You're watching
0: Big Stan, <laughs>
1: <laughs> but um, so that kind of movie, so the movie kind of like fell off my radar for years and years, mostly because we never rebought it outside of VHS, and the, that tape is probably long gone. But then when I was doing my research for this episode, I'm like, no way, that was a Ridley Scott movie. So I did a little, dug a little deeper. I saw how it won six Oscar. I'm sorry, it got nominated for six Oscars and did win one for best original screenplay. But some of the noms included best director, best actress for both Gina Davis and Susan Sarandon, deservedly so. <clears throat> and so I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm gonna throw this on. I'm gonna throw this on my list because you guys have all the all the other really good ones on your list. So I want to get at least one really good one that I can passionately speak about. So, and I definitely got that with this movie. So it's about two best friends. They set out on a road trip, but things go south on their way, and they end up on the run for the police. Um, that's from IMDb, and it's it's pretty simplified considering all like the little bit of, bits of nuance and the, and the intricacies of the story and why they are on the run from the police. Um, but Susan Sarandon, Gina Davis is like the. Primary two protagonists of the movie, the two best friends, Delma and Louise. Um, they were both fantastic. I thought their chemistry was great. I especially loved Gina Davis. Like I think Gina Davis was just killing it in like the late eighties, early nineties. Between that and like Beetlejuice, um, even so, you could even say as far recent as like Stuart Little. <laughs> Without a doubt, Gina Davis one hundred percent. But either way. I, I like you were talking about with Anna Paquin last week, Mike, and um, earlier today with Halle Berry. I think we need to talk about Gina Davis some more. I don't think she's really been talked about enough in the last decade or so. Mm. I mean, I looked it up; she was on Grey's Anatomy, ugh, but um, <laughs> <laughs>
0: that part of the besides title. that,
1: <laughs> for me it is. But besides that, I mean, she hasn't really been doing a whole lot movie wise that I could see. I mean, she had Commander in Chief. Uh, which I never saw, but I ne- most never really had an interest in it either. But uh, I also did learn that she has done a lot of activism in that time. So I can't really fault her for not being in too many movies because she's too busy doing far better things, such as I wrote it down. Um, I believe she has a foundation to fight gender gender inequality in film, among other activistic endeavors. Um, so this movie also features, pre-Reservoir Dogs, both Harvey Keitel and Michael Madsen. And Christopher McDonald, um, uh, Shooter McGavin himself. No Brad
0: Pitt, shout out.
1: husband. Uh, I was getting to him. I was oh, saving okay. the best for last. It does, yes, it also features a young Brad Pitt. Um, but like I said with the other Ridley Scott movies, it's very atmospheric, it's very immersive, um. Especially for a movie like this where it's a road trip. They're in like New Mexico for a lot of it. So it's very spread out, but yet the, the sets really... They look good. It's a very good-looking movie, aesthetically. Um, the acting is top-notch. It's honestly one of my favorite movies I've seen in quite a while. And one thing I kind of ponder... I mean, it did pretty well at the Oscars from the looks of it. Uh, wow, 30 years ago this movie came out. Um, it did pretty well at the Oscars then... And I read somewhere that it kind of got some heat for... <laughs> this is the dumbest thing for a movie to get heat for. it Because it portrayed a negative... Uh, it basically gave a negative portrayal of men. So people were crit- criticizing it because it made men look bad. Which I think even 30 years ago doesn't seem like that long ago for that to actually be a take. But I, I mean, I guess it still could be a take in 2021. But I, I digress. My main... My, my, my main thing that I was thinking is like, what if this movie came out in the last couple of years? Do you think it would have done better or worse or the same at the Oscars with the same feminist themes and the same sort of artistic direction that it took in the acting? Mm, I don't it's know, a
0: guys, good question that I don't have Did you, have you guys a, see it? Yeah, it's a good question that I don't have a, a full answer to. I would hope, that's what I'll say, I would hope that it would do much better because it deserves much better. Um, the the criticisms unfortunately i we haven't gone far enough in those 30 years by far and you want to talk about an ending that'll have you thinking for days this movie has that mm, yeah i mean that is just it's bold it's daring it's funny in the face of like these incredibly horrible things that happen uh yeah much them and loose yeah.
1: and one and i mean one one other thing i want to point out too that i really enjoyed about this movie is how sort of, you got Thelma and you got Louise. One is kind of on one spectrum of, like, morality, give or take. I mean, neither one of them is really a good person or a bad person, but one kind of starts out on the more negative side of the morality scale, and then one of them, the, the other one's kind of, you know, the housewife who's never really gotten out or let her hair down or really done anything bad or criminal or nothing. And then their, their outlooks kind of gradually shift, and then they eventually become mirror images of what they... Started the movie as.
0: Mm. And like you said, it's. They're real people. Like they're real characters. They're not angels or devils, which uh, a lot of movies do. They're real characters. Yeah, I agree. All right. My number one is The Martian. This is a a recent Ridley Scott entry. This is from 2015. This is written by Drew Goddard and it is based on the novel The Martian by Andy Weir. This is what it's about. It's about. Mark Watney, played by Matt Damon, who is an astronaut and botanist who is left on Mars by his crew after he is assumed dead in a storm. And that's it. That is the beauty of this movie is the simplicity of it. This is a movie where the structure is Mark will present you with a problem that he is facing, and then he will solve it. And this movie is so unique because it's both like a lone actor movie like Castaway, or like last time we talked about I Am Legend with Will Smith where you have this single character on screen for a very long period, and that's Matt Damon. And he holds it so well because of that structure. You're so interested in how he's going to solve this stuff. And all the information is presented in such a way that it's completely accessible without overly explaining it. Uh, as he tries to solve things with various success. And the other piece of this movie is that it's a big ensemble because people in and out of NASA once they realize that this guy is alive, they're trying to bring him home, right? You got Chiwetel Ejiofor, Jeff Daniels, Benedict Wong, uh, so many people who are working together. The film is cut so well. It's edited by Pietro Scalia. Uh, And then you have the crew that left him behind, Jessica Chastain, who is the leader, Michael Peña, Kate Mara, who are all great in their roles, and you have all these moving parts that are blended so well together and that it, it keeps it breezy for 2 hours and 20 minutes this is a very long movie uh, but it kept me hooked the entire time we talked about the production design of the other films it's the same with this one I mean Mars is the red planet and this is the red planet Mars looks it looks insane you feel like you're there I could look at that all day I would have a still of it up on my wall one thing that I love supremely Supremely about this movie is that it has this tone where the stakes are real, people's lives are on the line, and you feel that and you feel how important it is, but there's a certain optimism to this movie. Some people might consider it to be a little too sweet or a little too optimistic. I didn't get that at all. I loved um that there was this humanistic approach to this story and this problem solving. The Needle Drops, which uh, Ridley Scott, really, well, there's sometimes to varying success, and maybe we'll talk about that with House of Gucci, but when he's at his best, the man knows how to do some Needle Drops, right? He's using Donna Summer in this. He's using Rock of the Boat. There is a Starman sequence, uh, this montage that, like, I just felt, like, so joyous during it. I almost, like, teared up. I'm not even sure why. It was just uh, It was just so good. And then maybe the topper for this one is he uses Waterloo by Abba. Shout out to the all the Abba fans like me, during a sequence where Mark is just ripping a a rocket—not a rocket, but a ship—apart, and it it just completely works. Waterloo on Mars. I love it. This is nominated for seven Oscars. It didn't win any, but I don't care. It was awesome, and it made six hundred and thirty million dollars. This is the Martian. It's a ten out of ten movie. Go watch it.
1: So should we make that our third favorite movie soundtrack?
0: Oh. The Martian. That's that's a good point. Uh, yeah, I think we could do that.
1: The Martian, send tweet.
0: Just put the Martian, in parentheses, Waterloo in on Mars. <laughs> and people will get it.
1: They either will or they won't, I suppose. If they sing the oh, Martian, then yeah. we all of fans on yeah. this planet. yeah well, I this mean,
0: that's true. A pro abba podcast, and now Mars
2: is thanks to Ridley. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right,
0: so he has; those are our, all our top threes, but he has so many other good ones. Uh, Legend in early Tom Cruise epic. Um, Someone to watch over me. Black Rain. Black Rain when Michael Douglas was really just like in his prime. In the eighties and nineties, he was killing every movie and Andy Garcia is just absolutely going for it in Black Rain. Uh, He has White Squall. The most recent ones he's done, interestingly, so he has two movies out this year, but before that, his most recent ones were in 2017. Those were Alien Covenant and All the Money in the World, uh, which famously had to replace Kevin Spacey with Christopher Plummer, uh, who did get an Oscar nom after that. That was also the source of, we talk about, things not quite progressing as far as they should in society that was sort of the basis for the the controversy between mark Wahlberg and michelle williams's pay but now we have the last duel and house of gucci i think we're going to talk just for a minute here we're not going to say too much about the last duel just give a little recommend this is written by nicole holof center who wrote can you ever forgive me amongst other things that was a great movie with melissa mccarthy also written by Ben Affleck and Matt Damon, the Goodwill Hunting famous pair. This is based on The Last Duel, a true story of trial by combat in medieval France by Eric Yager. And this is, I, I think this is the better of the two movies, The Last Duel and House of Gucci. Not to spoil our I, I, House of Gucci review that much, it's still going to be a fun conversation. But Tyler, what did you think of The Last Duel?
2: I really like The Last Duel. And I just want to say one thing. Like, if you. There's a lot of myths about the last duel, like the movie itself, that it's like a, a male's view of like a terrible event that happened to a woman, and I, I think that's the wrong way to describe it. The way it's set up is that it's three stories, one by each of the main characters, that ends in the story of um, Jodie Comer's character, and they specifically mention that's the truest account. So I think I th- if you if you're hesitant that way. I I think you should give it a watch and definitely look because it's not as bad as you would think from just seeing like, I guess, just kind of reading up on it now. But um, I I say give it a watch. I, I think it's definitely a really good movie. It does a really good job of showing you these three, the same story in three completely different ways. And it's interesting to see like how each character like saw the events going. So I definitely recommend it. Um, Give it a watch.
0: Yeah, I I will read the description uh, briefly. Jean de Carouge is a respected knight known for his bravery and skill on the battlefield. Jacques Legris is a squire whose intelligence and eloquence makes him one of the most admired nobles in court. So those are two of our main characters. When Legris viciously assaults, and they say assault, but uh, he rapes Carouge's wife, she steps forward to accuse her attacker, an act of bravery and defiance that puts her life in jeopardy. The ensuing, the ensuing trial by combat, a grueling duel to the death, places the fate of all three in God's hands. Uh, I think that's a pretty good description. And Tyler, you explain the three perspectives thing well. I do just want to give like a quick warning um, to anybody who is thinking about watching this movie. Rape is depicted twice in the movie, um, which if you're obviously you know your comfort level with that. But if you were wondering whether or not to watch it, uh, that is just a warning that I wanted to provide. But I do, I really, really like this movie. And part of the reason for that is that this takes what Ridley Scott does best, you know, very much the showdown, often the medieval duel stuff, and it completely flips it on its head. It presents the duel at the very beginning of the movie, and then it spends the rest of the movie, without giving plot spoilers, like deconstructing it, And basically making it seem like the duel, the thing that he is so famous for, is dumb and pointless. And you learn so many things in there about objectivity, believability, truth, who we choose to believe and who we don't, who is unable to be heard in society, um, what do we prioritize uh, when somebody is the victim of a crime, all that kind of stuff. Uh, all these wonderful performances. Jodie Comer, best actress worthy. Uh, I better hear her name on Oscar nominations day, or else I will be very upset. And I, I don't, I man. don't want to hear it for uh, Free Guy. I want to hear it for the last duel.
1: Man, you took the quip right away from me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you, well, we're in agreement about that. Then
1: you you mentioned Free Guy before I could.
0: And I'll make a little bit of a case for here, not that, not that she needs it, this performance speaks for itself, but she's playing like three characters, and all of them yeah. are. But she's playing three characters, and all of them, she just nails it every single time. Uh, and I also, listen, I wouldn't mind if Ben Affleck were a Best Supporting Actor. He he's on fire in this movie he's going crazy he's having a great time he's got great lines he's got great hair he's so zany and wacky and it just works the entire time i,
2: I think he had a similar role as to what uh what jared leto was supposed to be jared leto was supposed to be in house of gucci but uh, done way better uh, hey be nice to jared he 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 tried Hmm. But I I just think he's kind of like you know over the top ridiculous, but it's absolutely a lot better in this in last duel than yes um,
0: absolutely all all of them are good, but please Jodie Comer best actress. All right, that is our Ridley Scott. We're going to be talking more Ridley Scott as his his next movie, which is about Napoleon, I believe, comes out. Uh, and then after that, we're going to get Gladiator 2, and I'm sure we're going to get some unexpected stuff. And next, we're going to talk about House of Gucci. We're going to take a short break before then, but we will be right back. Okay, now to our review of the new movie, House of Gucci, this is the description from Google, when Patricia Reggiani, an outsider from humble beginnings, marries into the Gucci family. Her unbridled ambition begins to unravel the family legacy and triggers a reckless spiral of betrayal, decadence, revenge, and ultimately murder. Um, I think that's a good description. I think this movie is a bit more ensemble than that. Uh, but this movie is written by Becky Johnston, who did the story. Uh, she also wrote Under the Cherry Moon The Prince of Tide Seven Years in Tibet also written by Roberto Bentiveña this is based on the book House of Gucci A Sensational Story of Murder, Madness, Glamour and Greed this is by Sarah Gay Ford I have read this book it is incredibly well researched I would say if you're actually interested in learning the history of the Gucci company what makes it um, so iconic in the world and what happened with different business accusations and yes the murder and stuff uh, go read that book be warned though there are like a lot of like business acquisition chapters which are very well done but just be warned Uh, This Ridley Scott has wanted to make this movie, apparently, after he got the rights to the book in the early 2000s. So I suppose this has taken a long time. Apparently it juggled a lot of people on and off the project. I would say my general thoughts on it are summarized by Tom Ford, who was a very famous designer for Gucci. He's a filmmaker in his own right, which maybe we can talk about in a couple minutes. But he said recently in an essay for Airmail, quote, the film is... Well, I'm still not quite sure what it is exactly, but somehow I felt as though I had lived through a hurricane when I left the theater. Was it a farce or a gripping tale of greed? I often laughed out loud, but was I supposed to? Unquote. I would have to agree with Mr. Ford, generally. This movie is fun at times, but then kind of, like, starts to take itself seriously, but not that seriously, and then it goes back to funny... It's very inconsistent, but what did you guys think about House of Gucci?
1: Um, So, I I totally agree with Tom Ford, what he's saying there. Um, It was very all over the place. Uh, I did not think I was going to like it from the first half hour or so of it. I thought the dialogue was kind of goofy, and just the way that the characters are behaving just seemed very ham-fisted but eventually the once the plot caught its stride i did enjoy it for probably more of the runtime than i did not enjoy it but i did kind of i think mike you were the one that that said this and i totally agree it did kind of run out of steam toward the end and i agree with your point that a lot of it was Mm -hmm. totally inconsistent especially when we start going into some of the acting and the characters Uh, one Mm -hmm. character in particular that kind of i enjoyed but I definitely feel like he fell out of place in this movie. Well, we. Whoever we'll could get to you that. be
0: referring to? Well, we'll get to that. All right, Tyler. I know we kind of gave it away. We liked the last duel more. But what did you think of House of Gucci?
2: I mean, I thought it was a lot better than people are saying. Not well, not a lot better. I liked it more than a lot of critics and people are saying. I mean, yeah, there was. I do agree with what Tom Ford said about you know, parts were funny that may not have intentionally been. But I think there was, like, Lady Gaga gave a pretty strong performance, in my opinion. And I think the story was definitely engaging enough that I enjoyed the movie. I think definitely parts that were, I mean, we'll talk about the character later, that were a little over the top. But I think overall, I enjoyed the movie, and I'd recommend someone see it if they're a fan of Lady Scott.
0: Yeah, it's, I don't know, I, I'll say it now. I was going to ask this later, but I'll say it now i think i would struggle to recommend this um to depending on the person if you i would say if you're a person who only goes to the theater every once in a while there are probably better options many of which we talked about but if you're interested and you're looking to have kind of a silly good time i would recommend this the people who were sitting to our left in the movie theater were like clearly drinking a little bit because they got up five times before the movie even started came back with a different drink every time this woman who was directly next to me was giggling for the first hour <laughs> and she just got up and left I don't I don't know what
2: see they were they were like uh, they must have agreed with Tom Ford they were laughing at literally everything like it wasn't they were even a line that had nothing to like it wasn't even trying to be funny or anything and they were just laughing out loud.
0: Yeah, my name is Gucci.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I really was confused.
0: And then she just left. Like, what, had she just had enough of it? She's like, "Ah, I've had enough. All right, that was good enough."
1: Well, well, I I think Cinemark cuts you off at two drinks. Oh, when you're there, I don't fact check me because I'm not 100 percent sure. I just heard that somewhere. I mean, it makes sense that they would. Uh, but I wonder if that's what happened. Maybe she got cut off at the Cinemark <laughs> bar, and. Uh, she... She's like, oh, well, this isn't fun anymore.
0: (laughs) She couldn't sustain the buzz. I mean, fair enough. This movie is over two and a half hours. I don't think any of us could have sustained a a slight buzz for that long. I
2: will say they could have cut a lot out of this movie and and even made it a better product.
0: (laughs) Yes. There are two big elements that are, I would say, working against each other in this. And that is the script and the characters. Let's go through the characters. We have Lady Gaga as Patrizia Reggiani. Full disclosure, Lady Gaga is one of my favorite musicians. I love everything she does. I bought her Oreos that she put out a few months ago that went with the Chromatica album. They were it was a pink cookie with green filling, and they were delicious.
1: Are you um? Are you gonna are you bring "Marry Me" aside to her done. next that, concert? Yeah.
0: <laughs> I'm a teacher, just like Owen Wilson. <laughs> <laughs>
2: like, oh, that's and the movie hasn't come out yet, so she's just confused.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just, she hasn't read the graphic novel. <laughs> what did you guys think of her performance? I, I thought it was really good, Tyler. I know you think it was really good, Matt. Were you charmed? I think you were.
1: Absolutely, that was probably one of the highlights of the whole movie. Despite the uh, the griping some people had with her accent, yeah, I
0: so the accents were not great. It didn't that doesn't always super bother me in movies. Um, the beginning of this movie is kind of like a really cute but awkward courtship between Patrizia and Maurizio, played by Adam Driver. And I thought both of them were probably at their best in that beginning part Um, they're both fumbling but it's really cute and it's really sweet and it's really funny at times and then I would say this this is a movie of diminishing returns and I've noticed this with a lot of movies this year is that it it, I think it gets worse as it goes along Uh, Matt I know the beginning didn't work for you uh, but I liked it not as much in the end as mentioned, we have Adam Driver as Maurizio Gucci, who I would say is probably the most subdued performance of the main cast here. Um, but same thing with him. He kind of has a switch at some point in the movie um, that I I don't know exactly where to pinpoint or if it kind of made, only made sense because I've read the book and um, you know spent a long time with it, or if it made sense in the movie. Did it make sense for you guys?
2: what do you mean like his character traits yeah and then
0: like the random switch in the middle of the movie
2: yeah i thought it was kind of odd like yeah like the they definitely felt it felt rushed and not fleshed out yeah um i agree with that so
1: yeah that kind of goes into the total inconsistency that i felt with some of it he yeah it was like a switch was flipped Um, I think it's because they realized that they were already an hour and a half in the movie, and they're like, oh yeah, we're supposed to make you not like this guy enough.
0: Yeah, (laughs) We're
1: supposed to make you sympathize.
0: Yeah, which I'll say, the, and not that this is uh, Silver Book Savers, but the book does a really good job of fleshing out different character arcs, so I recommend that. We get two, I I would say, pretty good performances by Jeremy Irons, who uh, and Al Pacino, who play, like, uh, they really are the second generation of Gucci, but in this, they play sort of the patriarchs of Gucci, Aldo Gucci and Rodolfo Gucci. And I'd say both of them give very good measured performances. And then when it's time for Al Pacino to explode, it feels earned, it feels authentic in this role. So I, I really enjoyed both of them.
1: I think I told you guys this in the parking lot. Um... I forgot Jeremy Irons was in it by the end of the movie
0: because he, yeah,
1: he... <laughs> he was not in it for very long. No, but His
0: role isn't super huge, but he makes the most of it. All right. Should we, should we get to this? Do we, do we have to do this?
2: We have to do it. It's got to be mm-hmm. done.
0: All right. You can tell from my tone that I didn't vibe with this, this performance, and that's Jared Leto as Paolo Gucci. Um I have nothing against Jared Leto. In fact, I really, really like Jared Leto. Uh, Yeah, he plays Paolo Gucci, who is the son of Aldo. um, And he is just portrayed without an ounce of nuance. Like, he's just an idiot (laughs) clown who is a total waste of a human being. And I I just couldn't get behind this. If the movie had been, like, 30% sillier and they were just like hey we're just having a stupid good time here but it just like took itself seriously enough where i'm like this is not a character this just seems like a <laughs> See, i think episode. i could
2: relate to him maybe that's why yeah, <laughs> i'm just this successful so you know that's that's why <laughs> i could latch onto that i'm like that's me <laughs>
0: No, I, I, he has so many, like, lines that are meant to be jokes, but they're, they, I feel like they elicited uncomfortable laughter from people.
1: Nobody listens to Paolo, oh.
0: Yeah, he, he talks about, he's like, make sure you don't get chocolate and poop mixed (laughs) up, he's like, and I would know, and you're like, "What? what? Yeah, there was,
2: like, a weird running gag of him, like, like, missaying, like, common phrases, like... And I didn't understand what that was for. Like it wasn't really done like comedically. Well, I mean his whole role was, but like yeah. he just said like a weird like it was off a bit and I'm just like, is that to make it him more ridiculous or <laughs> I, I
1: I don't know. I I will I wasn't I will agree that it wasn't good acting. It wasn't but I was entertained thoroughly by it.
0: I just don't think it was in the right movie.
1: No, no, if this was in... If if they had cast Jared Leto as this character, but to voice Super Mario in the upcoming Super Mario movie, which I think is the thing they need to do, get Chris Pratt out of there, get Jared Leto in there. It would have been um, weird
2: if Mario just came on screen like, I'm a Paolo Gucci. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's a me. <laughs> um, I was thoroughly entertained by it, even though it did not fit the movie whatsoever. I... He tried. He he put. You could you could tell the effort he was putting into that role.
0: Yeah, I I don't much
1: know. Much
2: like much, he much did like his have Joker like six role. pounds of prosthetics on his face.
0: <laughs> I mean, I thought the makeup was good, so good on that. Minor spoiler. It's it's not a plot. It's just something that happens. But there's a... Paulo. Uh, part of his identity is he is a designer, but it is shown that he is a very poor designer again please don't take this as fact it's a movie based on real life don't take it as fact and his uncle rodolfo uh tells him that he sucks and then he takes a scarf that was designed by rodolfo throws it on his own rug and urinates on it (laughs) why are you urinating on your own rug this isn't the big lebowski I, like, what do you take that thing outside or put it in the toilet? It's not right? his own rug. Was it not?
2: No, that's no. Rodolfo's house, Susan.
0: Oh, I thought he called on Rodolfo.
2: No, he visited
1: Rodolfo.
0: No. Oh, okay. Forget what I said then.
2: <laughs>
0: was I mean, that was your big
1: thing? That was your big thing. You were yeah, that to was my reveal? big
0: thing. It was a misunderstanding, I guess. But... <laughs> Still, okay. what, like, what servant discovered that later and was like. Did a person so pee here?
1: <laughs> and they're gonna run to Rodolfo. Did you did you see what happened here?
0: Yeah, I don't. How do you deal with that? Do you tell the owner of the house? Oh. You're just like, I'll just take care of this.
2: <laughs> All right, is we this you scarf? Do you pee on the scarf? <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Maybe maybe he thought that Rodolfo peed on the. He's like, oh, is that just one of his habits?
1: <laughs> At least he didn't get grease on him. You can't get grease on the scarf.
0: Yeah. I think you should leave, fans. Uh, This is the second movie this year that I think just doesn't know how to use Salma Hayek. Uh, (laughs) She plays Giuseppina Ariema, uh, who is a TV psychic who becomes friends with Patricia and uh, helps her to plot this this crime that she's going to commit. I don't know. I thought she was just really misused. She did the most that she could, but I, I just... I don't know why they had her do the things that they did.
1: Wait, did you see second movie or third this year?
0: Oh, what's, the, what's your third? I was referring to this and Eternals.
1: What about Bliss? Oh, my lord. <laughs> uh, Hitman's you know, Bodyguard's I, Wife. I was
0: thinking about that the other day. Uh, full disclosure, <laughs> I didn't see the Hitman's Bodyguard's Wife, but I did see Bliss, <laughs> which is a movie on Amazon. I was scrolling through quickly, just a glance, And I saw, oh, Owen Wilson, Salma Hayek. All right. All right. It seems cool. I clicked on it, and, you know, that's where I'm going to leave it. I don't want to say anything bad, but that's that's where I'm going to leave it. Don't watch that. Unless you want to see a drug dealer often offer Owen Wilson drugs, (laughs) Owen Wilson politely declines, and then you just see the drug dealer walking away with his butt out and holding up a middle finger. Because <laughs> that's, that's what they do when you refuse to buy drugs. Is just like, sl- yeah, just slowly walk away. Like, he wasn't even, he was like taking a half shuffle every second. And Owen, like, imagine being Owen Wilson on set at that moment. You just have to stand there and stare at that guy <laughs> as he's walking away with his cheeks out. Like, it's ridiculous. But anyway, this is the third movie this year that completely mis- misuses Salma Hayek. Uh, we have Jack Huston as Domenico. Wait one second, I just oh, want to give her a
2: quick fun fact on Salma Hayek. She's actually married to the CEO of the group that owns Gucci.
0: Oh, all right, good stuff. Well, I guess there was, I guess there was some some company involvement. We'll, we'll get to that in a couple of minutes. Uh, We have Jack Huston as Domenico De Sole. Um, I feel like his role in the company is not very well explained at all in this movie. Um, It's very well explained in the book, but not in this. We have Reeve Carney as Tom Ford. Tom Ford, very famous fashion designer, also a filmmaker. He did A Single Man. He did Nocturnal Animals. I don't know if anyone's seen Nocturnal Animals. One of the most confounding movies that, that I have seen from the first frame. It is That is a wild ride if, if you want that kind of thing. Um, so it would be interesting to see what would have happened if he had directed this. We have Camille Cotin as Paola Franchi who uh, becomes Maurizio's mistress. Uh, she was in Stillwater earlier this year, and she was amazing in that movie. Her role here is kind of small. She's kind of mainly just used as a punching bag for Patrizia. Um, so I, you know, I wish they had used her a little better, but I got to say the acting MVP of this movie is the opera singer that was at, at Paolo's fashion show.
1: (laughs) Paolo's wife. Yeah, that was Paolo's wife.
0: Oh, that was his wife? Yeah. I really missed all the Paolo stuff in this movie. Yeah, it sounded like
2: (laughs) my wife had to sing. (laughs) You know why? Because
0: I was... In in bafflement, I was squinting so hard that I probably couldn't see half the things that were going on in the movie. <laughs> but she his wife, who is singing opera at his fashion show, the place is getting raided by police. They're getting shut down. Like the band just leaves behind her. <laughs> like they're like, I'm done with the cello. Enough with the cello, okay? We're getting raided. And she just keeps on singing. And she's not singing. Happy birthday. Like she's singing opera at full force, and her face is confused, but she's still singing it. And so she was the MVP of the movie for me. So who was your guys's MVP?
1: Mine was Paolo. I, I got it. Uh, well, uh, no, I, I guess if we're taking the seri- if I'm if I'm taking a serious like look at it, then I would say Patricia Lady Gaga. I would say she was definitely the MVP. Um are we, are we talking just characters or are we talking actors and characters? Either war. So yeah, still objectively Lady Gaga my personal favorite is Paolo though. Um I just I just I thought the way Jared I thought Jared Leto was just wilding on that and I thought it was so f- entertaining but not in the way it was supposed to be. Much like the movie Old from earlier this year mm. uh, you guys know how much i love that movie
0: oh uh, yeah we did too tyler who's your mvp
1: the guy with the hose that
2: sprays adam driver <laughs> that's, uh, that's okay right. so i was watching <laughs> that
0: and i was like is this just rocky 3 is this just like when they're in the ocean and they're like in their neon <laughs> is there neon white beaters and they're, they're like jumping in the waves that's exactly what i thought of <laughs> Uh, this so as i mentioned those are the characters and this script the script isn't the worst but it goes from courtship comedy of mirrors to a family dramedy to a strategic business acquisition to like intense crime drama and some movies can pull off stitching those together but i i don't think this one does
2: they uh, felt very distinct too, <laughs> like like yes. it literally yeah. just moved from one to the other and left the other part behind.
0: Yes, I agree. Uh, the soundtrack, as I mentioned with The Martian, is uh, I'd say less effective here. There is a wedding scene between Maurizio and Patrizia, and I you hear the organ in the beginning, and I'm like, is this faith? Are they about to play Faith right now, I the George Michael song? Because <laughs> they, oh, they kept the riff going, and I'm like, I'm pretty, like I'm pretty sure <laughs> this is Faith. And then you hear the, and then you hear George Michael, and I'm like, oh, okay. I, I love this song, but I, I don't know for this moment.
1: They should have done the Limp Bizkit cover of that song.
0: Um, I don't know if I would approve of that, but <laughs> I maybe.
1: think I, I I think it would be nice.
0: I think we are going to...
1: <laughs> if I can touch your body. That's funny.
0: <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> I think we're going to move into spoilers now for House of Gucci. Um, I think we all... Rec- anybody who doesn't want spoilers, I think we all kind of said we're middling, recommending it, um, yeah. kind of recognizing that some people will really like it and some will not which is the case with most movies but i would say especially with, with this one is kind of polarizing even like within the movie some parts are better than others
1: spoiler warning if you have not seen the following movie please turn back or accept the consequences
0: but now that we're in spoilers i first have to talk about the worst two things that i've ever seen spouses do to each other and I am including Kramer versus Kramer. I'm including all of that. Here's what Maurizio does. He gives his wife a gift card <laughs> for Christmas to a store that she does not even go to. <laughs> I, that's heinous. You don't do that. That's, that's the way to say I don't love you anymore is to do something like that but then... Wasn't
1: it just like a not... It, it wasn't a Gucci gift card, and she only wanted Gucci, right? Wasn't that the whole thing?
0: It was either Tiffany's or Bloomingdale's, one of those. I, I could be wrong, but I think it was one of those. I
1: think it was Ooh.
2: Bloomingdale's. Like, I, I might be wrong, Uh-oh. too. I, thought, yeah. I, I know it was some kind of like fashion
1: story. I wasn't paying that much attention, I guess. And, <laughs> at that part.
0: And here's the the thing Petriti does, which I think is unforgivable. This is when you know that a relationship is over, and I think... I think every relationship really ends with this, is that she gets up in his face and she calls him incompetent little baby idiot. You don't call somebody incompetent little baby idiot and then expect the relationship to survive. You just don't do it. And she says it with such malice and force. That might be the most emotional part of this entire I wish
2: you had told me that years ago, Mike.
0: Yeah, I know you've been calling all these people incompetent, little baby idiot. I, I
2: can't imagine why they keep ending. And, you know, be why.
0: and I don't know why you're always saying it in an accent either. It's, it's kind of <laughs> I'm just, weird.
2: I'm just Italian, but also Russian. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> little baby idiot.
0: Yeah. I, uh, I've quit several jobs by calling my boss that. I've been <laughs> fired a couple of times. Uh, when I wanted to rebel against my parents, I called them that.
1: So that's why I got written up last week at work.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> oh man, if I had a nickel for every time I could have actually said that to someone. At it's
2: work. a term yeah. of endearment, I swear.
0: <laughs> no, that's the, they weren't calling that out during the sex scene. She wasn't calling him incompetent <laughs> little baby idiot then. <laughs>
1: that was the worst. Oh my god, that imagine.
0: Alright, Matt, why don't you give us your thoughts on the sex scene?
1: So we were critiquing the uh, Eternals one a couple weeks ago, right? How there was basically nothing happening in it. Thankfully, so. Which I mean, we're watching a movie, we're not watching a porno, so I get that. It's fine. But this was like the polar opposite of the Eternals one. This one gave me freaking whiplash. Like, it, I mean, this is we're trying to make a PG pod here, so I'm not going to go into too much detail. But it's just a lot of like bouncing, and like the camera felt like it was just like shaking. <laughs> It is just very aggressive. It's hard to hold the camera steady while you're doing that. I, <laughs> I,
0: think, I think they just tied the camera to to Adam Driver's ankles and they just let him go.
1: It was just like uh, I, 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 it took me out of the movie. Well, I wasn't really in the movie by that point anyway, because yeah. that was at the end of the thirty minutes of goofy, hammy, romantic dialogue. So, yes.
0: and this was right after the. The truck hose playing soccer, all that stuff, too.
1: (laughs) Which, that honestly felt like a different movie.
0: Yeah. I want to talk about the the hiring scene, where Patrizia um, and Giuseppina go to hire two hitmen to kill Maurizio. I thought this was just like, if there was a Venn diagram of this movie and one half is like, fun, campy, romantic, and the other half was like serious crime drama. This is just like the poorly constructed baby worst scene in the movie of these two.
1: The incompetent little baby The incompetent idiot. little baby idiot
0: <laughs> of of this movie. It's we have we have the two women who are like they have coffee. I don't I don't know. Would you why buy something? <laughs> you could meet anywhere. Why are you buying something? But I don't know, maybe they really did that. And I just it was one of those things where I don't know why the scene existed. Everyone like puts on their mega serious actor cap in this scene. The two men don't even really talk.
2: The guy the guy who carries out the assassination who ends up carrying it out. I feel like he had lines and he forgot them because yeah. like the guy kept looking to him and he's just like he looked back <laughs> he yeah. was supposed to say something and then when he did he's like oh yeah
0: do you guys want to reenact the negotiation confusion where he's like "I hey, he said it's eight not six why
2: why yeah, is he why he say did not it, he had had eight? it was so four. much time on the fact i said said six not eight what is going on it's six it's going to be six really like no, it's literally like everybody eight. look
1: i only <laughs> i only have six it was like everybody had there. they had
0: to have told the actors like you need to point Twice at every other actor in this scene. So make sure that you do it. We don't care in which order it's done, but you need to point at everybody and say a multiple of two.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> I just, I don't know. I, I didn't really get it. I I thought that was, I it was just confusing. And I don't know. I had such high hopes for this movie, but then we get something like that. And I I suppose it was entertaining, but it was just it was just indicative of this. This really bad tonal sense. And then we get this very abrupt ending where the four of those people who were in that last scene, um, we see Maurizio get assassinated and then we have the court scene where they like very purposefully make Patrizia uh, as unglam as they they possibly could. Um, And then all of a sudden we, we get ending cards and we learn what happened to the characters. And I was like, oh okay <laughs> none of the trial all right
1: well i think it's, it's another case of them looking at their watch i'm like oh shoot it's, already, yeah. it's almost three hours long already gotta wrap this up
0: yeah it, i don't know for like being in <laughs> a movie over two and a half hours it just seemed like a little abrupt to me
1: well don't worry i'm sure Ridley will come out with a director's cut that's like four hours
2: yes so. that's true that is probably <laughs> yeah, true it, it was a because the scene before it was like her entering the house right like yeah dismiss um i don't know, camille coteen's character yeah and then it just went funny. to the, like there was no arrest or anything it was just such a jarring jump and then it's like <laughs> that's it
1: the, the director's cut's just gonna be another hour and a half just with the court proceedings. Yeah. Every witness.
2: <laughs> I mean, I don't need like the whole trial, like minute by minute. I mean, like it's literally just jumped to like, oh, this is my house now, to like, oh, I'm in going to jail. <laughs>
0: yeah. Again, if you are actually interested in sort of like the investigation leading up and the court proceedings, read the book because it has a lot about that. Uh, but we have a recent statement from the Gucci family, which reads in part, the production of the film did not bother to consult the heirs before describing Aldo Gucci, president of the company for 30 years, played by Al Pacino, and the members of the Gucci family as thugs, ignorant and insensitive to the world around them. And they were also upset about portraying Patrizia as a victim, which they they felt that that's how the character was done in the movie. And we also have this statement uh, from Tom Ford, who said, quote, I was deeply sad for several days after watching House of Gucci, a reaction that I think only those of us who knew the players and the play will feel. It was hard for me to see the humor and camp in something that was so bloody. In real life, none of it was camp. It was at times absurd, but ultimately it was tragic, unquote. So that leads me to thinking about the question, one I will say, I'll say it once, I'll say it again. Please do not take biopics, even when they say based on true events. Don't take them as fact. It's, it's a fictional movie. But I want to ask you guys this. Should campy films that are really silly and ridiculous be made
1: out of real-life tragedies? I think I think it's possible. I do think um, if you're going to go that route, you should probably consult, like the Gucci's were saying. You should probably at least consult the heirs, or you should. I, I I think you should probably tr- tread lightly. I mean, I'm I'm someone that that finds humor in a lot of dark things. I make I make like dark funny jokes from time to time and. Not on here, but outside. Stuff that would probably be like, oh, how could he joke about that? But, like, sometimes you gotta find humor and sadness. So, I can understand, like, a a serious movie throwing in some wit or some camp. But I feel like you gotta be careful and try to do it as tastefully as you can. And again, consulting the heirs or consulting the, I guess, victims of. I mean. Yeah, victims would be one way to put it. You know, really, you know, make sure everyone is okay with it. You know, otherwise you're just having fun at someone else's expense for no good reason.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I, you know, when it's somebody else's story, I definitely don't want to be the judge and jury of that. I, like you said, they should definitely be consulted. Um, I myself would just be, weary of that there is always like the potential to sort of harm somebody um by by depicting these things i especially like it bothered me a little bit because i know like these movies are fictional and they're not real but it couldn't help but bother me that paolo gucci who is not alive anymore like this was a real person and like that's how they're being depicted on film i don't like I don't know, it, it just it was really off putting to me that he was like such a clown with like no redeemable qualities whatsoever.
1: Yeah, true, especially when you read his final title card, where it's like he died in poverty five years after his father. Yes, and if you... when when really he he did nothing wrong in this story. Yeah, I like he he was kind of a victim of circumstance. Right. So I, I see it from that point. Yeah,
0: and again, like I'm, I guess I'm being a little bit of a hypocrite because I'm the one who's saying you shouldn't accept these movies as fact and you shouldn't, but I if I'm being honest, that was the feeling I got when I was seeing him act so ridiculously. I was like, "Oh, that's was, that was like a real person and like I don't know, imagine being somebody's family like looking at that." I don't yeah. know.
2: Yeah. I think I think broadly like to your question, the original question of like can you make a can't be thing out of like a tragic event. I mean, you can, I think it can be done. Like, I mean, Taika Waititi made a comedy about the Hitler Youth. So, I yeah. mean, like, it can yeah. be done. It do- definitely depends on um, context. And, like you said, like, I mean, imagine if you were related to Paolo Gucci and, like, you knew him and that's, you saw that and, you know, like, people are going to come away thinking, like, I, people, they, they know it's not an accurate portrayal but that's what they're gonna get in their heads because they didn't know that much about that character they just remember him or from that person they just remember the character in the movie
1: (laughs) yeah then you have people saying it's a me paolo gucci
2: (laughs) that's just what they're gonna associate it with so they may know like yeah i'm i'll i know that like that's not an probably not an accurate portrayal i mean i don't know paolo gucci might have been accurate but um (laughs) But I mean, like, but when I think of Paolo Gucci, that's what I think of—is that because that's really the only thing I've been exposed to him from is a character in a movie. Uh, can I can I just bring up the previous quote by the Guccis though? The, oh about, yeah, um, about Patrizia being portrayed as the victim. Did you guys get that? No, I, I didn't see her as the victim. I saw her as like she was the manipulative one. She went behind. <laughs> Um, yeah. is back and like to do the Paolo Gucci stuff. Like I thought she was portrayed very badly, like I thought it was
0: kind of both. is that If this movie picks a central character, which it doesn't really, but if it does, it I think Patrizia is like the central character if there is one. I and agree. Before all the murder plotting stuff, we do see like Maurizio treating her like a piece of crap. And, you know, especially like the scene where she gives him the photo album and he's like, you're embarrassing yourself. And they do portray him as like this almost deadbeat dad, Um, which I don't, you know, if you want to argue accuracy to real life or whatever, I can kind of see what they were saying. Like you said, ultimately she was manipulative and ultimately she hired some man to, you know,
2: kind of uh, do oh. the murder but um but yeah like also just something i i thought was like that yeah you they do get you do see like him being a horrible person then but like in the beginning he didn't even want to go to gucci like he wanted mm-hmm. to stay and they they yeah, portrayed as she was the driving force behind him even getting involved which drew drove him into the like yeah. the way he wanted to be so i i kind of thought it it portrayed her as like the 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 starter like the one who started that off because like he wanted to stay with the trucking business and stuff because he even says in the movie this is the happiest i've ever been so i think that i don't think they portrayed her as a i wouldn't say they portray her as a victim they do at the end show that like she's being treated terribly yeah but um i think they more portray her as like a manipulative like driving force behind a lot of the bad that happens
1: yeah And that was after she called him an incompetent little baby (laughs) idiot. So Yeah, once you get caught that, all bets are off. Any retaliation after that is fair game. Yeah.
0: I I can see what they're saying (laughs) though I don't completely agree. Um also we are getting the unforgivable with Sandra Bullock coming Uh, to Netflix and I believe that Actually it doesn't look too bad. I think that whole movie is just her calling people (laughs) incompetent little baby (laughs) idiot and then they just they can't forgive her anymore.
2: <laughs> hey, this is not not
1: this cannot be forgiven.
0: Yeah. Any final thoughts on House of Gucci?
1: Um personally, I liked it, but I didn't love it. I would recommend it to the average moviegoer not someone who's going to hyper hyper analyze it like we like to do on the show. Not not that that's a bad thing, but it's just, I'd say, like I said, for an average moviegoer, I would I would recommend it.
0: If you're a Lady Gaga fan, definitely see it. Oh, uh, absolutely. If you have to choose between one of two Ridley Scott movies this year, I would say see The Last Duel.
2: The Last Duel, definitely.
0: But please, we want to know your thoughts. not all about us. We want to know about you. Please write to us at silverscreensaverspod at gmail.com. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at screensaverspod, and our Facebook is Silver Screen Savers Podcast. Matt, what are your socials?
1: My socials are at Matty X Sturds, M A T T Y X S T U R D Z. That's on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. I also want to say shout out to all our new Twitter mutual friends that we've made over the last couple of weeks. There's so many, you like can't even begin to name you all, but it's been awesome to see the support. On social media, especially Twitter, so shout out to all of you.
0: Yes, uh, thank you guys so much. We've loved interacting with you. You guys have awesome pods, uh, and we're so excited to continue our relationship. Uh, but Tyler, where can you be found on social media?
2: Uh, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Tyler Sutkus. That's S U T K U S.
0: And I can be found on Instagram and Twitter at Michael Underscore Gallat. That's all lowercase, and on Letterboxed at M Gallat. Next week, we are going to be getting in the holiday spirit and talking about our favorite holiday movies. I'm very excited for this. And it's all surrounding the new movie. Tyler, you mentioned Jojo Rabbit before, which has our guy Archie Yates in it. That's right. We're watching Home Sweet Home Alone, which is available now on Disney+. Plus. Cannot wait to see the tricks.
1: (laughs) Same, same. Um, So I think... I read that last duel is actually supposed to be on Disney Plus starting tomorrow, so that would be December first. December first. I don't know if that's in the U.S. or if it's because I know Disney Plus is kind of weird. And the would you because I don't I don't think Disney Plus has a lot of like the PG thirteen was it was it PG thirteen or R? Yeah, it's very hard R. <laughs> so I don't know if it's going to be out in the U.S. But if I I did read in multiple places that it's supposed to be on Disney Plus, so I think Disney, Disney Plus I could actually watch it.
0: Is playing Dan in real life. You guys remember Dan in real life? I remember this Dan team? in
1: real life. He's sleeping on the pancakes.
0: Like, I'm not saying anything about the movie, but on some of these, I'm like, why is this on Disney Plus? <laughs> Go on Disney Plus firing up Dan in real <laughs> Dan. life.
1: <laughs> well, either either way, if, if that is the case, I will be watching Last Duel, and I encourage the rest of you to check it out like me after such a glowing recommendation from Michael and Tyler.
0: Yeah, it's awesome. And also, please, check out Home Sweet Home Alone so that you can talk to us about it. Uh, but thank you so much for sticking with us. We will see you guys next time for holiday movies.
1: Ho, ho, ho. Bye. Silver Screen Savers Podcast was co-created, written, hosted and produced by Michael Gallant, Tyler Sukis, and Matt Sturdivant, with additional editing by Matt Sturdivant, intro music by Charles Michelle via Pixabay, logo designed by Nathan Seidel.